You might notice in your bulletin this week there is not the text of the scripture. Uh, and the reason is we just expect you to memorize it from this point on out. Uh, that's not really why. Uh, really, we're doing it for two reasons, or why I made this switch. And the first is so you can take notes in that section. Uh, if you desire to, you can take notes in that section. If it helps you uh, stay focused, I know I used to enjoy taking notes, uh, and then I would throw them away. It was just a process of actually taking those notes. Uh, if you don't like to do that, there's no pressure to do so. Uh, it is not a means of grace that you take notes. Uh, and the other reason, though, is that we want to help you become more familiar with the Bible itself, the, uh, the actual text of Scripture. And, and part of that means having the full text before you, uh, whether that be a, a paper Bible, uh, on, your, on your phone, on a tablet, uh, an ancient scroll if you want to bring one of those in, whatever it is, but, but really uh, that you can get used to moving around in that. It'll, it'll help you learn to get around uh, knowing where things are in the Scripture. And so uh, if you're not familiar with the order of the Bible, this might mean you are switching back and forth a hundred times, and that's okay. That's the way you learn how to do this. Don't be embarrassed by that. Uh, when I first uh, was brought to faith, uh, I was a teenager, and I didn't know where anything was, and I'd go to church, and I would flip back and forth, and once everyone stopped, I would just stop wherever I was. <laughs> Usually was not the right spot, uh, and just pretend I was in the right place. Don't do that. Take the time to get where you need to go. Uh, and so, the Pew Bibles before you, you can use those, those are fine, but I really encourage you to bring your own, uh, whatever you read at home, whatever is your, your actual Bible that you, uh, you spend time in, bring that with you. Uh, so anyway, we're in Ecclesiastes today, and, and just for the record, if you open the Bible right to the middle, you're typically in Psalms, uh, and uh, <clears throat> that's a good place to start with, and now you turn a little to the right, and you're going to find yourself hitting the book of Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes, all right? If you see anything about twin gazelles, you went too far, go back. So, anyway, Ecclesiastes chapter 8, we're going to start with uh, reading verses 1 through 9, and, and, and then we're going to kind of, uh, we'll come back to the rest of it, and we're going to work through all 17 verses of chapter 8 today, but, but first 9 to begin with. So let's begin uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face has changed. I say, keep the king's commands, because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, or who can tell him how, how it will be. No man has power to retain the spirit or the power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness, wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observe while applying it to my, uh, my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man has power over man to his hurt. The grass withers and the flower fades. Let's pray. Father, you speak wisdom uh, through the words of King Solomon here in this book of Ecclesiastes, and, and we thank you. And we ask that you would enlighten our finite minds to understand properly what you have revealed uh, here in this passage. Uh, give us resolve not to seek wisdom, uh, not only to seek wisdom, but to live by that wisdom. And when there are many temporal gains to be, to be had from shun shunning your wisdom, God, would you lead us to embrace your wisdom? Give us strength to choose your way no matter what. 
give us joy now, Lord, as we dig into your word. Amen. <clears throat> so we live in a culture uh, that's not doesn't highly value wisdom. Um, at least not in its, its pure form. It's, it's not that we hate it. It's not that there's a lot of movements against wisdom, uh, <clears throat> calling for an end to it or anything like that, but we, we tend to find it boring. We tend to find wisdom restrictive. There's this, this tendency to shun what has been revealed to be known wisdom and, and instead to pursue our own way of doing things. And, and really, it's, it's not just our culture. Um, King Solomon here and other biblical writers spend a great deal of time trying to convince people of the value of wisdom, uh, trying to convince people to walk away from foolishness and, and to walk in the words of wisdom. And, and that's why our passage today begins with this establishing the importance of wisdom, not just uh, to tell us what it is, but the importance of it. When he asks this, who knows the interpretation of a thing? And the assumed answer is that a, a wise man does. Uh, a wise person. And he goes further to esteem wisdom with the rest of, this, of, of verse 1, writing this. He says, A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. See, the, the human face is kind of like a, a mood ring that actually works. Uh, it, it actually reveals something to us. Even young children can read the expressions on, on someone's face. We can see sadness. We can see anger. We can see fear and pain. Um, we can see when someone is just questioning something, thinking about it. Uh, something We can see even just happiness on someone's face. And we love to see that. It's like Proverbs 15, 13, where, uh, where we read, A glad heart makes a cheerful face. Our feelings are revealed in our, our faces, our expressions. And, and that's kind of his point here when he's saying that wisdom begets joyfulness. Okay, so you, you keep that in mind. But I also want you to understand, this is wisdom literature. And that means that there are exceptions to this. This is generally the case. You can, but there are exceptions to it. You can live according to wisdom and yet find sadness in your life because of things that happen. Uh, it, but it is a general rule by which we, we live that uh, if we follow wisdom, we're going to avoid much trouble and, and much pain in our lives. And so now the reason that he is promoting this wisdom here at the start is that he is about to, to lay down some wisdom on how we are to live in a messed up world. Uh, specifically, under a messed up government. For, for the people in Solomon's time, that means living under a, a king. Uh, a king who's a, a oppressive, a king who uh, maybe rules in such a way that does not live under justice uh, or, or express justice. And, and then uh, we start to see this. Verse 3, he tells us the king does whatever he pleases. That's the kind of power the king wields. Uh, verse 4 says, The word of the king is supreme. Nobody challenges him. And now you and I, we don't live with an earthly king. I don't think so. Um, but we do live under a government that has authority over us. And so it's not a stretch to say that we're often frustrated with our own government. Um, the way that it handles, well, just about everything. Um, it doesn't take long to just listen to people to start to get that understanding. However, uh, we have many reasons to be thankful for the government that we live under. Uh, despite how it might feel to some of you at times, we have no dictator in the, in the United States. Uh, and, and personally, I find it very rude when people won't refer to uh, the president by his title and, instead of only using his last name. Um, however, if you choose to, you don't have to do that. There is no requirement on what you refer to the president as. Uh, that's, that's part of the freedom that you have by living in this country. 
Uh, there's also enough stability in our, our system here uh, that we don't live under any extreme poverty. Uh, there aren't riots when, when one political party replaces the other one. I don't know if we realize how amazing that is. It's one of the few places in the world where everyone doesn't go nuts just because the leadership is changing. Uh, we live in a, a, under a government where the police and the military protect our streets and our borders, uh, providing a general sense of safety. Uh, yes, you can find places that feel very dangerous, but in general, we live in a very safe environment. And I'm, I'm sure that there are many more reasons for us to rejoice at the government we live under. Uh, however, at the same time, our, our laws are often uh, deficient or even corrupt in some ways. Uh, our leaders can be self-serving, selfish, and, and general. And, and yes, there are injustices of all kind. Um, you know, it's, it's difficult for us to know how to navigate this life. Uh, particularly as, as Christians living in, a, in, this, in this world. How should we respond or, or think about what we've seen recently happening in Ferguson? Uh, or even more recent, uh, where, where an offer was caught on video shooting an unarmed man and then lying to cover it up. How do we make sense out of that? Um, how do we make sense out of the, the push for homosexual marriage and, and how the law is being enforced on, on bakeries or other businesses in relation to that? How do we think about these things? Uh, or even that our government has, has given approval to, to the murder of unborn children, uh, the no-fault divorce, or even as a culture, the way that casual sex has been absolutely normalized. As far back as, as 1999, David Wells wrote of our culture, he said, it makes sin look normal and righteousness seem strange. If we're to live in a culture that is increasingly opposed to what God has revealed in his word, we need wisdom. And that means that the first thing we need is a posture of humility before God that goes to God through prayer and asks for wisdom. I mean, I think of all the things that we see wrong in the world, and I, and I wonder, have we prayed about it? Have you done as God tells us to do in James 1.5 where we read, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. And so are we asking God through prayer for wisdom? Uh, wisdom and how we function in a world that is very far from Eden. Very. And so while, again, Solomon is specifically talking about life under the rule of the king, the, the wisdom that God gives us here is very applicable. Since the whole system of government that we live under really functions like a king. And, and there's three statements of, of wisdom here in our text that I find very interesting because we tend to think of wisdom as being intuitive. Um, intuitive just means that it feels right. It seems like the right thing to do. Uh, intuitive wisdom uh, would be like me telling you that pan, that pan that just came out of the 450 degree oven is hot. Don't touch it with your bare hands. Yeah, that makes sense. That Makes absolute sense. That is intuitive. But what we're getting here is, is counterintuitive wisdom. It, it goes against our first reaction. It seems very strange to us at first. And it uh, reminds me that during World War II, the British asked a, a statistician named Abraham Wald where they should add armor to these bombers that they had. Many of them were getting shot down. And so they asked him this. And, and after looking over these planes that had returned, um, that had, had come back alive, he, he recommended that they put more armor at, to the places where there were no damage at all. And, and at first, the Royal Air Force was really confused by this. Why would we put armor where they're not getting hit anyway? And, and later, he began to explain that 
the planes we're looking at, these are the ones that have come back alive. Um, and, and that means that the bullet holes that we see are in the places where the plane could be hit and still survive to return. And so the planes that were shot down were probably hit in different places, uh, and therefore he recommended adding armor to the places where there was no damage and uh, where they were lucky enough not to have been shot at all. And, and so his wisdom, though counterintuitive, proved to be very effective. Uh, and, and this is the thing with counterintuitive wisdom. It's often the most difficult for us to accept, for us to embrace, because it requires that internal conversation uh, where you say to yourself, you know, this is, this is what I want to do. Uh, this is my natural reaction to this situation. Uh, but instead, I, I'm going to follow God's wisdom in this and, and do this other thing. And so, again, keep in mind, um, this is wisdom for when we are we're under a flawed um, and unjust authority, whether the injustice is, is intentional or not. And that's what he's speaking into here. Specifically, again, a king, but it could be our own government. It could be the company you work for, uh, the college or department you're under, uh, whatever it is. Basically, ask yourself, what authority has God placed over me? And you begin to get an idea of, of how this becomes applicable. Uh, and so the first counterintuitive wisdom is that we should obey the authority that God has placed us under. That doesn't seem so crazy, does it? Uh, we see it in verse 2 right there. Keep the king's commands. And this is counterintuitive because we naturally want to rebel against any authority that we believe we know better than. The way you're doing this is wrong, and so I will not obey anything you say. That's kind of our natural reaction to this. Uh, in fact, there's times when the government really seems to be set up in, in favor of the criminals on one side and, and greedy, selfish individuals on the other side, and, and those are the situations that make us want to refuse to obey. Uh, any of you who have ever played a sport of any kind that had a ref in it, you, you've experienced this feeling. Um, somebody is committing a bunch of fouls and the ref is doing nothing about it, and you have that horrible internal monologue uh, that says, you know, if, if you're not going to call fouls, then I'm fouling everybody. Everybody's going down. And that's kind of the way we want to respond uh, in sports that can usually get you an exit out of the game real quick. Um, in life, it's, it's pretty nasty as well. Uh, Solomon then gives us these three reasons for, for this obedience. Uh, this, is, this is a wise way to respond to an unjust king. And, and here are the three reasons. And the first thing he says, uh, as our text says, because of God's oath to him. Uh, honestly, the, the Hebrew here is, is difficult uh, to translate. And in fact, there is likely a note at the bottom of your Bible. If you look down there, you probably see that it suggests another reading that because of your oath to God, just kind of switching around. It's not really significant because either way, it's drawing our attention to the fact that uh, the providence of God is even over our governments. Either way you look at that. Uh, and so we've got to remember that even when we can't understand what God is doing, the world is still in his hands. And I think that's difficult for us to understand sometimes, that the world is still under God's ultimate power, even when we look at it and we have questions and we wonder. And, and so as, as powerful as authorities might seem, we've got to remember uh, what God said in Proverbs 21.1, uh, where he says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Or as the Westminster Confession, chapter 5, 
Uh, we actually were studying this just yesterday in the morning with the men, uh, really summarizing scripture. It says this, it says, God upholds, directs, disposes, and governs all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least. And that includes teachers, that includes bosses, that includes commanders, that includes parents, that includes presidents, that includes every single authority you can imagine being put over you. And we see this in the New Testament as well. 1 Peter 2, 13 through 14, Peter writes to the church, listen to this, he says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent, sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Now, even in the text of Scripture, we begin to see there is an exception to this. The one exception is if we are forbidden to practice our faith or forbidden to, uh, to have our faith. And that actually happens in the first century. Uh, and Peter's part of that, the very guy who just wrote what we are reading. And when the apostles are told, don't preach the gospel anymore, stop that. You cannot speak of that. And in Acts 5.29, Peter uh, and the rest of the apostles say, we must obey God rather than men. Well, we begin to see uh, our, our reasons. The second reason is for obeying even in a corrupt authority uh, is seen in verse 5 there. Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. Uh, it's generally for our own well-being that we obey the authorities. Uh, if our, uh, in our government, we might be tempted to refuse to pay your taxes. And you've probably got good reasons for that. Um, you're upset that some of this money goes to sinful services and, uh, or, or, or some of this money is going to organizations that you know are, are working in evil ways. And, and, and so this counterintuitive wisdom to, is, is to say, submit, pay your taxes. And, and we're encouraged to this because, one, it's, it's really kind of common sense because uh, being fined or in a prison is a lot better um, than this rebellion. What are you going to accomplish from it? Uh, and, and larger than that, though, there's, there's a, a, a missional or an evangelistic reason for our submission. If you got your Bible, turn over to 1 Timothy real quick. See, we got our Bibles open. We can get there. Uh, 1 Timothy 2. And, and we're going to learn, I want to show you this, how, how we relate to the authorities commends the gospel to others. And so let me walk you through this real quick. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 says... First of all, then, I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and for all who are in high positions. And, and so all those things basically come back to prayer. Uh, I mean, he's encouraging us to pray for these people in, in leadership positions. Um, and really, you don't have to approve of the job the president's doing, or your governor is doing, or your boss is doing, for you to pray for them. And based on the way that Christians were treated in the New Testament, I'm guessing there were plenty of reasons for this early church uh, to really not want to pray for these men who were in charge, who were leaders at that time. Uh, this text, though, is uh, in 1 Timothy continues, and it tells us why we should pray for them. Uh, picking up, it says, That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Okay. So why does that matter? What, you know, what does it matter that we are peaceful and dignified under a godless government? Well, it continues, still in, still in 1 Timothy there. He says, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, and man, uh, the man Jesus Christ 
who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Did you catch that? It's because it puts us in a better position from which to proclaim the gospel for these sinners who desperately need Christ. So I want to come back to Ecclesiastes uh, as you understand that it puts us in a great position from which to proclaim the gospel. Uh, the third reason that we are told that we should obey is that even powerful leaders are ultimately weak. They will die. Uh, that's the point, point of verse 8 when it says, No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. Those who rule with injustice will die. Nero, dead. Hitler, dead. Stalin, dead. Castro, dead. Chavez, dead. Uh, add any name you want to that list. Either eventually or already, dead. Uh, which brings us really to the second bit of counterintuitive wisdom when we live under an unjustice authority, and, and that is to fear God. Uh, if you haven't already, turn back to Ecclesiastes 8, or, or, or listen, I'm reading starting in verse 10. It says, Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God, because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. Uh, so let me explain why fearing God is counterintuitive. Uh, when the authority over us uh, is ungodly, the temptation is, is just to forget about God. Um, not that we hate God, not that we're rallying against God or anti-God. We just simply forget God. And, and part of that reason is that it seems like God is not, into, not in control. Um, it's this question of, where are you, God? Uh, why doesn't he stop this from happening or that from happening? Uh, verse 10 is explaining that, it uh, goes further explaining that not only are these, these unjust people in our society uh, existing and, and, and part of it, but here they are being praised, uh, even in the temple. And, and we see that, that this justice seems to be lacking in, in the world, and that's what they're seeing. And so, so much so that even the, the wicked are, are dying and, and having never, ever been brought to account for their sins, having never, ever been brought to account for the injustice that we see. And, and this leaves us, again, just wondering, how can God permit this? Which leads us to think, if anything is ever going to change, it's going to be 100% up to us. So we come up with plans, or maybe just hashtags in this era. Um, what we often fail to do, though, is pray. Because we fall into this temptation and we, we fail to acknowledge that God is in control or even that God exists in this. And in verse 11, we, we begin to see the results of this. It says, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. You see, since people commit crimes and it takes forever for anything to ever be done about that, for any punishment to be given, People are so, some, at some point no longer afraid of the authorities. Uh, it's like that situation where you, you see a child disobeying a parent, uh, something they're telling them over and over again, 
And, and the parent begins to shout all these, these threats at this child. Uh, maybe I'm not the only one who's ever seen this happen someplace. Um, but they don't actually do any of these threats. Everything they say, they, they fail to actually do any of it. And, and this child learns eventually, just do whatever I want. You're not going to do anything anyway. Um, on a larger scale, there's no fear or consequence from the authority. And so the heart is set to do evil. What are you going to do about it anyway? See, the wisdom here is when there's no reason to fear the consequences of sin from, from the king or, or from the government, then we're told that we should still fear God. See, at the end of this portion, he's reminding us that we can't know everything. Um, you know, we can look at the empirical evidence. We can look at what we can observe with our eyes, but we can't know everything. And so we must trust God. Uh, and he says that it will go well with those who fear God, those who respect God, that it will go well, it will not go well for those who don't. And a lot of times we don't see that. We don't get to see everything that's going on. And, and, and yet, so, so as we fear God, we're rightly acknowledging that he is still on the throne. He is still ruling. And that should drive us to pray for the injustice that we see in our culture because we believe God can do something about it. Um, and so we've seen that when we live under an unjust king or authority that we should respond counterintuitive by obedience and by fearing God. Uh, verses 14 and 15 tell us also that we should be joyful. Um, read as I listen. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. And I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and to drink and to be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. Uh, Sean o O'Donnell uh, explains this well, this idea of why being joyful is actually counterintuitive. Uh, he says, While we live in a crooked world filled with sinners and corrupt governments, the temptation would be to wait it out with as much bitterness and dourness as we can muster. See, you turn on the news and you might hear about some ruling that is just unjust. Um, what should be happening isn't happening. And, and there's that temptation to go to, to Facebook or a friend or somewhere and become that political curmudgeon. Um, who just wants to spout out everything that's wrong with everything. Uh, you want to complain to everyone about the terrible state of the union. And, and here we look, what does Solomon counterintuitively commend to us instead? Joy. And here's the thing, that's, that's what we're doing right now. You know, the world might seem out of control, and here we are gathering to worship. And at the same time, there are men out in the world who are devising evil plans for power or for greed or for pushing some evil agenda or normalizing some sin in the world. And yet, here we are celebrating our Savior. Here we are celebrating that God is the sovereign king who sits on the throne, uh, sovereign king of the world. We're celebrating that we, too, are sinners, but that through faith, uh, we have been saved by the blood of Christ. Um, which raises that question, are there things that we want to see change in the world? Yeah, I hope so. I hope you're not so oblivious to, to what's going on in the world that, that you don't want to change anything. Uh, and, and if we do, then we should be praying for that. 
And we should be boldly proclaiming the gospel. Uh, primarily because God has called us to do that, but, but also because while policy can only protect people, it's the gospel that actually changes people. And see, we, we tend to want these quick fixes. Um, but this is about getting to the heart of the issue. Is that some friends of mine in college had this black mold that was growing on their ceiling. Later on, we found out that was really bad. We didn't know it at the time. And they told their landlord, and the landlord came over and just painted over it. So eventually the black mold was back, and they're like, well, that creepy mold's back. And he comes over and just painted over it. Um, and I can't remember how many times this went on, but, but it didn't actually fix anything. It didn't fix anything because it wasn't getting to the heart of the issue. And, and that's kind of when we look at the problems in the world that we... We need to come to this idea that we can't just paint over things with policies, that, that only God can get to the heart of the issue regarding unjust authorities, that um, really their need is, is for a Savior. We can't underestimate that. Uh, for a Savior, for the freedom that comes through Christ. See, when, when Solomon first taught this, they were, they were looking forward to, to this promise that God would provide a Savior. And that was reason enough for them to live with joy, even in this unjust world. We, we have the added benefit of looking back from the other side of the cross. We have this, this added, added reason even for us to trust God that he is in control, uh, even more so than they might have had. A, a reason to live with joy, no matter what the circumstances of the world or, or around us. And so there's this, this call for us to embrace this counterintuitive wisdom of Ecclesiastes. And that means, um, that, that means responding to these flawed or these unjust authorities with, with obedience, with the fear of God, and with genuine joy. Uh, and so I, I say, let's rejoice. Let's sing praises to God. Let's be nourished through the sacrament. Let's learn to trust God even, even when it looks like things are out of his control. You see, this all kind of comes back and connects to these last two verses. Verses 16 and 17 read, When I applied my heart to know wisdom, and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much a man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. You see, here we're learning what Solomon knows about the limitations of wisdom. There are certain things that God has kept secret from us. Um, Deuteronomy 29.29 confirms this, this saying, The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the wor words of this law. See, it's, it's not that God has left us in the dark. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Uh, <clears throat> he's called us out of, out of darkness into his marvelous light. And yet there is, there is much that we still do not know. And I know that is a general thing we hate, is to be outside of information. And yet that, that's where God has placed us in many things. Uh, and that's, that's where trust comes in. Uh, that's where we, we trust him, that who is higher than us. We trust him who, who knows what to do, um, or knows what we do not know. Uh, we trust him who is working, in ways that our eyes cannot see, in ways that our minds would never dream of. Uh, and so now with a, a text like this, I, I do want to come back because it's easy to feel like, like we're being told to just sit back, do nothing, let injustice rule the world, and let's rejoice. That's, that's not the point here. 
See, it's a strong reminder to us that there is a right way to fight injustice in the world. That we begin by obeying the governments or authorities that God has placed us under. That's a good thing. Uh, that we don't forget God, but instead that we keep a proper fear of God because he is sitting on the throne in an ultimate power. That we live with joy rather than some, some sense of endlessly complaining. Um, and let that be a point of application, actually. Uh, I'll use Facebook as an example, but complaining on Facebook or, or anywhere else uh, about injustice in the world, that's not the same as doing something. This might be novel. <laughs> um, so don't. See, if, if God gives you a hurting heart for some injustice in the world, that's great. Um, start by praying. Start by praying for wisdom to do something. Something besides hashtags because that's not accomplishing anything. Sorry, I've got it out against hashtags. Um, but then begin to work towards that goal. Uh, looking to God, looking to scripture, looking for wisdom every step of the way. And, and this is where it comes back, you know, inform others of what we can do to help rather than simply giving us the name of the person that we can complain about that we can blame for this problem. You know, may, may God be glorified in the way that we go about seeing justice happen in the world. And, and more than anything, let us trust our God. Trust our God who, when he saw our sin, didn't sit back and complain, but in love laid down his own life to redeem us. Let's pray. God, we pray in the name of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. And we ask for you to apply this word to our lives. May we embrace and follow wisdom where it leads. And may we be content, even if it does not lead us as far as we desire it. Help us to find contentment within the limits of your revelation. Lord, we thank you for not leaving us completely in the dark, and yet for keeping so, um, keeping so much still a mystery to us as we live this life under the sun. Lord, may you be glorified by your church this week, by your people. As your church goes out from here into homes and classrooms and offices and, and businesses, in the park, wherever you might take us, may you be glorified wherever we go as we seek not our own will, but your will. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.